This is a basketball. It is very clearly a basketball. It's got all the characteristics of a basketball. Except... It's flat. What Paul is trying to communicate to Timothy is that, Timothy, you are no longer a flat basketball. Instead, Jesus comes into your life and fills you with grace. He breathes his spirit into you. So let's say I pump this up. Let's say all of a sudden it can bounce. Now you're actually able to use this as a basketball. I could actually bounce past this to somebody. Y'all know I won't because I don't pass, but I could. I could actually shoot this into the hoop. That's enough. You can actually use this as a basketball. Now it's no longer just for casual play. Now it's no longer a floor decoration, but instead it's a conduit of some fun, right? It can bring fun. It can develop skills. It can be used to provide a way out of a hopeless situation. It can be used to assist in showcasing an individual's beautiful and God-given talents. It can be used to crown a winner, to crown champions. But not if it stays flat. Not if it stays flat. The great thing about a reconciled relationship with our creator is that you get to live into who God created you to be. You're no longer flat. You no longer give the aesthetic appearance of a basketball, but instead you are a basketball. God created us uniquely. God designed us with a specific intention. God's grace is that he knows we don't know what to do with it. God's grace is we know that the world doesn't want to discover our true talents. God's grace is that he knows we don't know how to be what we were created to be. But his grace is that he does. He knows. God's grace is that he knows. Paul's dying wish, if you will, is that Timothy will live into who God created him to be. When he says, Timothy, I need you to teach them, that's because God specifically created and designed Timothy to be a teacher. What has God creatively and specifically designed you to be? Let God give you the boldness. Let God give you the spirit. Let God give you the breath. Let God give you the air, if you will, when you know you don't have it. And see to it that this is used to continue the game. To see to it that this is used to continue the spread of the gospel. I could stay right there forever, but I'm not going to. Let's go to verse 3. Verse 3, this is when, this is when Paul 
takes a little artistic expression of his own. Oh, yeah, I forgot the screen don't work. Okay, over here. Endure suffering, Paul writes, along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers, Timothy, don't get tied up in affairs of civilian life. For then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes, Timothy, cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. And the Lord will help you understand these things. Paul, Paul what? You know, you're talking about God's grace. It's a source of power. And all of a sudden you're like, I want you to be a soldier. No, 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 no. I want you to be an athlete. No, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. I want you to be a farmer. Come again? He decides to use three specific illustrations, each as a different picture of who he expects Timothy to become through the grace of Christ Jesus. First, he says, a soldier. What do we know about a soldier? A soldier agrees to give up everything. A soldier is willing to leave the familiar behind in spite of the fact that they have no idea what's ahead of them. And then a soldier goes through a significant amount of, of extremely intense trainings to get their mind and body right, but not to sit back on a computer screen, but to go to war. A soldier is trained and is ready to go to war. And during war, you can become subject to mistreatment, mistreatment on all sides, to be quite honest with you, in a place that is very, very foreign. On top of that, there's this temptation to go ahead and get involved in some of the affairs or some of the relationships of the civilians around you. Huh, that's interesting. What's that? But the expectation is for the soldier to fight through all of those to focus on their job with their single-minded focus on pleasing and carrying out the orders of the one who enlisted them in the first place. When Jesus calls us to himself just as he called his original 12, he expects us to be willing to give up or lose everything. He expects us to be willing to leave everything behind if that's what it calls for. Unfortunately, already I've lost most of this room, but unfortunately, the demands on a soldier are not done. Because that includes your old way of living, your comfort, and even the happenings of those we were once surrounded by. At times, our spiritual journey is going to feel like we've been through some intense trainings just to sit in a bunker in a foreign country with bullets whizzing all around us, not knowing if we're going to make it out. We are subject to and victims of cruel categorization and mistreatment. That's the reality. And we barely, barely even get along with our own kind, as evidenced with the 57,000 different denominations and arguments just within Christian circles. No wonder Christianity is not that appealing. To the casual outside eye, of course. All of this makes it very easy to lose sight of the goal. And the goal in this meta metaphor is to have the endurance it takes to fight on as our single-minded focus. It's not a campaign. 
that's not getting some troops to the other side. Our single-minded focus is bigger than that. Our single-minded focus is set on pleasing the one who called us in the first place. Paul says, an athlete. As Paul would have appealed to a Roman audience with his first metaphor, now he turns appeal to the Greeks with an athletic metaphor. In the Olympics, you'll note that each athlete at the time, when this was written, yes, the Olympics were even back then. Isn't that crazy? Paul may have watched the Olympics. That's crazy. And the U.S. wasn't winning gold because it didn't exist yet. All right, I'm done. But back then, an athlete had to swear under oath that they had gone through the mandatory 10-month training. They had to swear that they had served 10 months under the most intense athletic training. Because if they did not, first of all, they wouldn't stand a chance. Because somebody on their line had gone through that training. Somebody on their line was faster than them. And if you hadn't gone through that training, well, ah, you don't know. But you're not going to make it. And secondly, if you had not gone through that training, you were going to sacrifice the integrity of the games for everybody around you. You were going to be that bum. Oh, did you see that race? Yeah, seven of them were really good. But that eighth guy, pfft. And this is a joke. Paul's second metaphor stresses the necessity of self-discipline. In a game, it's knowing when to be patient, right? It's knowing when to be patient, to stick to the game plan. It's knowing when to make that push. It's knowing when to foul or not to foul. It's knowing the situation and what is and is not appropriate and when. And ultimately, to play by the rules. The same is true, Paul would suggest, in our everyday walk. Our faith, self-discipline, when it comes to our faith, is about knowing when to chill. Chill out. It's about knowing when to grind. It's about knowing how to respond to any situation that pops up. And still hold on to your Christian witness. I'm preaching to myself now. Y'all were going to hear some things over these technical difficulties. I'm not going to lie. Then I remembered the passage I was preaching today. And I was like, okay, it's time to chill. Paul concludes with a farmer. A farmer who gets their hands dirty. A farmer who spends their life cultivating a crop. A farmer who has to be dependent on circumstances far outside of their control for their crop to be right. If it rains too much, sorry. If it doesn't rain enough, sorry. There is such a unique amount of faith that comes with farming because you need God's help to make the crop right, but that doesn't change the fact that you daily have to get up with the sun and get your hands dirty. And they get to be the first to enjoy the fruits of their labor. They get to be the first to taste of it, but ultimately the fruit of their labor is what feeds the rest of the community. 
Now, here's the thing. This is America. We find a way to mass produce or streamline or manufacture anything. We got chickens on more drugs than, no, we won't go there, but we got some chickens on drugs. We got some eggs that are coming out as big as my head, and you look at that and you're like, how did that? Because we find a way to manufacture and fake and mass produce anything. The church, it's sad to say, in America has done the same thing. We have learned how to streamline Sunday morning so that the weight is on the event to save. And it's completely off of the people to actually do the ministry of God. Well, I don't feel like getting out of bed today. Let me go ahead and catch the video recording from my phone while I wipe the crusties from my eyes. And maybe I'll feel something, but if I don't, it's because I don't agree with that pastor. Or he talks too loud. Or he talks too soft. Or it's... And it's not the ministry of God. It's a streamlined performance. But I have to believe that what Paul had in mind was the rise and grind. I have to believe that Paul had no idea that this letter that he wrote was mass produced to people to the point that we didn't even have to leave the convenience of our own screens to be able to read it. I have to believe that he had in mind the day-to-day -day work a farmer puts in to produce good fruit. The blessing of doing that work is that we're taken care of and that we get to taste the first fruits. But if you're not putting that work in, then what are you consuming? But the labor we put in not only puts food on our table, it's not just about us, but it puts food on our community's table. Because we stop doing the work for us, all those around us are also suffering because we're all connected. What's common, what's common in all three of these illustrations is that all three of these, a farmer, an athlete and a soldier, what's common is that all three of them follow a greater call that is a part of something bigger than themselves. All three of them are willing to sacrifice their own identity for the sake of the team, for the sake of the community. The question I have to ask here is, have you allowed your comfort to take priority over your place or your role in the greater call of God's ministry? Has your comfort become more important? Does your faith actually lead you to sacrifice and work hard and endure in order to participate in something bigger than yourself? Or... Is your faith still so individualized that it's something that is personally catered to just you? That's harsh, but unlike Paul, in this case, he normally doesn't. But in this case, he's going to end on a high note, so we're going to go there. Pick it up in verse 8. It says, always remember. Paul, Paul's not playing no games. 
he's, he, he, he is punching Timothy in the mouth with a pen. He says, always remember, though, that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. Always remember before you get mad at me. Always remember before you think about how hard it is. Always remember that Jesus got up from the dead. This is the good news that I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering. And I've been chained like a criminal. But, Timothy, the word of God cannot be chained. So I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. This right here is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he's going to deny us. But if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny who he is. It's always good. It's always good. Not today, Satan. Not today. It's always good when the reading of God's words gets that applause, right? Paul brings it back home. He ends it with an encouragement. He says, remember that Jesus performed the ultimate sacrifice for something bigger than his own humanity. Let us not forget that Jesus cried and bled in the garden before he was even arrested because he really didn't want to go do this. But it was about something bigger than his own humanity. It was about something bigger than his own comfort. It was about something bigger than being treated how he should have been treated. It was about the salvation of the entire world, y'all. So he went and he did it. He says, remember that Jesus laid himself out there for the world, but he did it one time for all time. So that now the world may do a great many things to us, but the world can throw everything they've got at us, but the world cannot touch us. The world can put me in chains, the world can stick me in a room so deep in a building that nobody can hear my voice. But the world cannot stop the spread of the gospel message. The gospel cannot die. Jesus cannot die. He did that once. Didn't care for it. Got up. Because there are people who have heard. There are people who have been impacted. There are people who will see it. The spread will not die. Paul writes, when I think of it that way, it makes everything I'm going through worth it. It makes it worth it. And he concludes with a hymn that says something to the effect of, if we choose him in this life and endure all that it entails, we'll live forever. We will inevitably have some hard times, but they can't take away our prize for victory belongs to Jesus. And yeah, you can deny him, but the consequence is that he'll deny you. But to those who are truly his, I know you're going to mess up, but that's okay. Because he remains faithful. But do we live that way, though? 
But do we really? Do we live every day in a boldness that says, no matter if I step out and misstep or not, do we live in a way that says, even if I step on out of this boat onto some water, expecting it to be solid, I lose my eyesight and I fall on through, do we live in a way that Jesus is still standing? Do we believe that Jesus will still be standing on the water? Do we believe that he is already one and that he has, yes, designed it for us to do? Allow me to speculate for a moment. Can I, can I do that? I believe that Paul's main concern was with the gospel dying with Timothy. Not that it literally wouldn't, like, keep going, right? God's bigger than one person. But I believe his concern was that it would die with Timothy. You see what I'm saying? I believe that he looked at Timothy and he saw someone with such strong faith. And he's like, I'm just afraid that you're not going to tell anybody. I'm just afraid you're going to keep that to yourself. I'm just afraid that ultimately you're not going to do anything to see its growth or continue to see people come into this grace. I'm really worried that no more people than what already know will continue to know because you won't tell them. Can I be real with you? Can I keep it 100? My concern is the same. My concern is that people here in our church have gotten comfortable. My concern is that you have become content with your Sunday morning experience. And maybe you live in community with other people here and you're content with that experience as well. But for people who are on fire, I'm hearing a whole lot of, you know, pastor, you should really dot, dot, dot. You know, for people who have the same spirit that I have, I'm hearing a lot of what I'm not doing enough of. You feel me? I'm afraid that people don't actually believe that the same grace that lives within me or JD or Rev or Mama Roz or whoever lives within you too. I'm afraid that people think grace is more abundant up here than it is back there. I'm afraid of that. Because, because if God showed you a hole in this operation, he showed you a hole in this operation. He didn't show me that hole. He showed you that hole. So maybe I shouldn't. Maybe you should. Can I, can, I, can I say that for a second? Is that okay? I'm guessing. I'm, 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 I'm just I'm speculating, right? I have no authority from God in heaven to say such a thing, but I am speculating that, that, that perhaps God has equipped you to go do it. Perhaps. Perhaps you have felt welcomed into my home. Perhaps God is compelling you to open your home. Perhaps. Guys, I can't disciple 200 people. Jesus had 12. You feel me? 
Paul was writing to one. I can't catch you all. That means somebody in this section's got to turn around to somebody in that section, and that section's got to turn to that section. I can't reach 200. Honestly, there are days, specifically this week, where I'm worried about my ability to reach one. But together? Are y'all kidding me? To get, to tell them. Together, we can reach thousands. I think that's in the Bible somewhere. My charge to you all who call Third Street your home and your family is that if you have felt welcomed and accepted, then make somebody else feel welcome and accepted. If you have had somebody walk through spiritual growth with you, then turn around and walk through spiritual growth with somebody else. If you have been invited into somebody's living room and shown how to love people, then maybe it's time for you to open up your living room and show others how to love people. And here's the thing. That absolutely opens you up to criticism. I'm just going to be real with you, right? That opens you up to criticism. It opens you up to be let down by people. It opens you up to be more bold than you've ever had to be in your faith. But the very nature, guys, of Jesus' ministry was him willingly sacrificing everything to save a lost world. The very nature of our ministry should be the same. And let me, let me quickly jump to the other side. If you are in here this morning and you are lost, I have not forgotten about you. You've likely already forgotten about me, but I didn't forget about you. If you are in here this morning and you are lost, if you don't hear anything else that I say, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. There is a loving God who is recruiting you to his team. There is a loving God who wants to show you the right way to play. There is a loving God who knows every gift and talent that you have, even if you don't. And he wants you to not feel like a waste. But he wants to place your perfectly, carefully crafted hand to a work that was specifically and carefully carved out for you. Are you willing to join him this morning? Third Street as a whole, somebody be with me on this one. Are you ready to join him this morning?